Hi, this is Tim. This is just a heads up that all the advice you're hearing in this podcast is general in nature. If you want something more specific, then feel free to contact us. Drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk, drunk, drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk, drunk, drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk accountant, Away. So I am recording, Tim. I just want to let you know. Yeah, I just saw the little red record button pop up. Actually, that's cool. <laughs> uh, so it's it's grand final day. You feeling nervous? Or you, yeah. you must be elated. You must be elated that the uh, the office champ is out of town. Yeah. So all right, let's. Hello, everybody. My name is Dan, and welcome to the podcast. You <laughs> uh, got Tim on the other end, still away, still, still traveling, and we'll get to that in a second, but. Uh, let's dive straight into the Pong date, because I do have some news for you, Tim. Oh, all right, cool. So, you played a lot of your games before you left, uh, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, yeah. you, you and I were one all, and then you beat Mikey and Angie and all their games, is that correct? Correct, correct. So, I, I beat Angie in all her games, except Mikey beat me in one of ours, and oh. I have no challenge... I have no challenge yes. because I challenged you. So oh, I won the week. So you won the week. That is so good. I was hoping that might happen. Yeah, so you, you won the week. Uh, unfortunately, you forfeited the semifinal, and I went straight through to the grand final. And uh, in, in another upset, Angie beat Mikey in the minor semi. Oh, wow. Well. And uh, Angie made the grand, grand final. Good on her. Uh, because you weren't there to play the second major. <laughs> I think she was priming herself for a run into the grand final, actually. Yeah, to be I think so. Yeah, yeah, so, so. Uh, it, it was a bit of a shellacking. Um, uh, but she, she, the point is, she made the grand final. And did, she got the experience? She, she, beat, she, beat, she beat Marky to get there. I'll tell you what, like she, she's gotten that experience, that exposure on the big stage, and uh, she's going to be better for that. Better for the run. Yeah. Uh, I, I did. I was talking it up a fair bit, actually. I was. Uh, this is this is different. This is, this is finals pong, Angie. This, this is not a regular season. Finals pong. Um, so yeah. So it, so uh, at the end of the week, I, I lost the week, um, but I won the grand final. So the trophy is comfortably sitting in my office right now. Disappointing. Well, don't get used to it. I'll be back. Uh, not next week, but the week after to reclaim that trophy. So um, yeah. So, thanks. We'll thanks for that update. That's all right. Um, so, Tim, as I said, you're you're still away. You're in Tasmania. How's it going? How's the trip? Oh, it's been awesome. Uh, we're in uh, Strawn at the moment, which is a little town on the west coast. Yeah, yeah. north. Uh, well, mid northwest coast, northwest coast of Tassie. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've been doing a bit of camping here actually, which has been uh, pretty cool. And um, yeah, just just sort of uh, tasting the local. Pleasures of wine and food and experiencing the beautiful wilderness that is the west coast of Tassie. It's basically just all bushland and tiny little remote towns um, that we're here. They're all here because of like convict history um, and settlements that were placed here to reap the benefits from the vast wilderness and the economic resources that are here, which is quite interesting. It's like ironic. Um that the main purpose of these settlements in these towns was mining and uh, lumber and resources. And also, like, there were, like, some penal colonies out here, so some jails, uh, all, like, convict 
settlements that were just like working, <laughs> working yeah. uh, prisoners, <laughs> basically. So yeah, uh, and now it's like a beautiful destination, like um, regarded highly for its beautiful wilderness and remoteness and lack of people. <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely cool. there's definitely a, a, a juxtaposition there between you know the the tourism side, which is all as you said about the wilderness and the forest and the trees and the and all, all, everything that's there versus the resources. Obviously, there's a lot of lumber companies there wanting to, you know, cut down the parts of the forest and uh, mm. and and to t- take the wood. But uh, on the other hand, that that wood <laughs> standing there provides the tourism. Exactly right. Exactly right. Actually, I was going to use this as the business update this week. A little bit all of right. a case study into the way right. small businesses are run in remote towns, but also. The way that tourism affects um, small business in remote towns. So, right. yeah, that sounds good. Go for it. Cool. So, yesterday was a great example. We went on this um, uh, cruise on the Gordon River, which is a World Heritage listed site area. Yep. Um, and so, it was a little bit before our time, Dan, but um, in the early 80s, there was a proposal by the government to dam up the Gordon River, uh, which is essentially a dam is used to generate power. So that's using uh, the natural geography of the river because it's got high, um, I suppose, like mountains, not really mountains, but sort of like a hilly... Like the snowy snowy mountain scheme. The water's running down, turns the turbine, generates electricity. Exactly right, exactly right. So... um, yeah, the interesting thing is um, environmentalists at that point um, stepped in, and that's where one person, the founder of the Greens, uh, Bob Brown, uh, ah. came to prominence at yeah. that time. So, um, yeah, so basically um, that was the beginning of uh, environmentalism in this area, and it was a huge shift because the west coast of Tassie, as, as, as it always was, was for resources. So it was mining, it was, uh, it was lumber... Uh, a lot of wood um, was taken from here, and there's some amazing trees and amazing wood that they can get that's so valuable. So, um, so yeah, there was a huge shift. The industry changed from mining and resources to um, to nothing overnight because it became protected after a long battle in court. Um, and so, yeah, what what's come into these small towns over time, and I'm sure it took a long time for this to happen, was tourism. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess that's the interesting thing to me, and that's where the case study comes in for, for small business, because um, you do see a lot of empty shop fronts and, and those sorts of things, and you do kind of wonder, geez, like how how would businesses survive in such remote towns? Uh, yeah. I'm talking like an hour and a half drive through no phone reception and just remote forests to a town on a river, which is... Um, and a harbour, which is like five times the size of Sydney Harbour. Like, yeah, it's a tiny town. Um, yeah, so the tourism has really propped up um, uh, the industry here. And, and then you see all these, like, um, small businesses splintering off from that and partnering and using uh, unique ways to offer services to those tourists um, that will, um, I suppose, they found a, a gap in the market where they can offer value, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, so it sounds like they've obviously, it, the case study here would be an example of, you know, 
understanding your external environment around and figuring out how best to partner with people around you or to take the most from the opportunities presented. That's exactly right. Because what I'm finding is the external environment is almost has a brand of its own in Tasmania um, of being like clean and crisp and, and uh, environmental. And, um, kind of um, like New Zealand. Yeah, so much like New Zealand. I mean, I've, I've heard so many people, and this is probably marketing, by the way, um, showing, showing its way through into um, people who are traveling here. But I've heard, yeah. I, and we've not been in busy places yet, so we haven't come across that many people, but I've heard that many people say, take a breath in, this is the cleanest air in the world. <laughs> um, because, yeah, because I feel like that's like a marketing slogan for Tasmania. <laughs> um, so Cleanest air find, in the world. Yeah, yeah. So I think you find there'll be a lot of businesses fitting into that brand and really leveraging the Tasmania brand of um, small batch and boutique and and from paddock to plate. Um, Those are things that you'll you'll see. Positioning themselves premium. Exactly right, exactly right. And so people coming from internationally, even just Tasmanians, I think they love using Tasmanian products because Mm. it has that appeal to it of being yeah. clean and being um, uh, environmentally friendly or um, I suppose not just a not just a, a meat factory but an actual farm um, yeah. producing goods yeah. Um, so yeah I think uh, and then and then cascading down from that you've then got these businesses that are being very strategic with their partnerships. So um, that envir- the ecotourism example I gave before. Um, interestingly, yesterday uh, we went on this cruise up the Gordon River, and um, at, um, after lunch we uh, went to Sarah Island, which was a convict settlement. It's this tiny little island in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's so harsh and cold and windy and remote, but um, yeah, there was convicts living there for like twenty years. And um, we had this awesome tour by this lady that was so passionate, knew her stuff, and she was so entertaining because she was basically an actor, basically, yeah. and, and involved yeah. the, the whole uh, group. And um, it, as it turns out, she actually runs um, a, um, I guess, a show every night in town. Um, conveniently located near the wharf where you get onto the cruise, <laughs> um, yeah. and you can buy tickets to to see the end of a story. Um, because there was like ten guys who um, made a boat and 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 escaped from the island and went off to Chile apparently and got caught a year later. So that's yeah, went to Chile the whole way across places. the Pacific. Yeah, because I think like. If you sail in a straight direction from from one of these, uh, yeah, you, you, on the west coast, end up, you definitely end up South America. South America, yeah. But, so, but that's a long bloody way to be on a, a like a tiny boat that you made, you know. On yeah. Early eighteen hundreds, yeah. Convicts probably not a lot of food and resources, but they did it somehow. But anyway, um, yeah. So anyway, she's partnered with the cruise ship, and I reckon she did that lunchtime tour for free to the cruise ship. I don't think she would have charged the cruise ship anything or a very small nominal amount. But what she gets out of that 
is her nightly crowd every evening yeah. because they're yeah. all tourists there and they love the tour and um, I could hear the show going on last night and it was definitely um, a full house I reckon and she's selling tickets yes. for $25 a head so that's, how good is uh, that? that? That's definitely a strategic partnership that she's developed with you know a, a company that offers a service with the similar customer base that she would have uh and obviously working gangbusters for it. Yeah, it's cool. And so you see little examples of that all over town. Uh, the restaurants are conveniently located near the wharf, um, and there's, like, local wines on, on the ship. Local, uh, we went past some... Uh, you, may have, you may have heard of Tassel, Tassel? T-A-S-A-L, or maybe two S's in there. They're a salmon producer. Um, yeah, yeah. So if you go into Coles or Woolies, you'll see them in there. They're, they're selling their smoked salmon. Um, yeah. yeah, so there's like salmon and trout farms in this um, in this harbour. So they have that locally produced salmon from the from the farm. Um, so yeah, I mean it's pretty cool. Fun little fact there as well. Do you know why salmon is pink? Uh, because it's got some mineral in it that makes it pink. No, because of what they eat. They eat um, a type of crustacean which is pink so that, that turns their flesh pink so when they're in these farms um the food they give them is gray in color so the flesh was going gray which wasn't very marketable so they now actually dye the food that they give the fish <laughs> really <laughs> yeah isn't that yeah. insane that, that people people won't buy a gray salmon even though it's perfectly <laughs> fine so they have to add a dye into yep. the food to make people it's so buy. It's so interesting. So in China or in Asia, they're like a red salmon. So they, they actually have different types of colors for different markets. How crazy is that? It's insane. Yeah. So there's right. all, all, kind, all kinds of interesting business things happening down here, which, which I'm finding fascinating. So yeah. I'll continue the journey and keep reporting next week. Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to hear the second part of this case study. I'd be I'd be keen to see what the uh, what the market is like in you know Hobart or in yep. uh, Port Moresby or, or, or somewhere else. Not Port Moresby, sorry, Port. Um, yeah, yeah, no, you're definitely right. Like it's going to be very interesting going from. There's a lot of places right now using old mining routes and things like that as a service and a product that's now eco-friendly. Um, like tonight we're staying in a pump, an old pump house on a lake in the remote wilderness. But, um, but yeah, moving on to Hobart, it's going to be more populated and we're going to go yeah. to like a bigger convict settlement in, in Port Arthur. So yeah, it's going to be quite no, interesting. Port Arthur, not, not Port, Port Arthur, Arthur is the one they're thinking of. Port Moresby yeah. is in, uh, Papua New Guinea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, see if I can notice some differences and, uh, and report that back. Uh, yeah. Next week. Cool. That'd be good. So I, I have another really quick uh, business update as well. Uh, so this week, the uh, I think it's the, like the preliminary report for the Royal Commission into the Misconduct of Banking, Superannuation and Financial Services Industry uh, came out, the initial report. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, I'm just going to... I'm just going to read the very first paragraph from the executive summary here, and I think it sums up pretty much most of the findings. Uh, it is too often, uh, so the heading is, why did this happen? Uh, too often, the answer seems to be greed. The pursuit of short-term profit at the expense of basic standards of honesty. 
How else is charging continuing advice fees to the dead to be explained? <laughs> so I can imagine the rest of the report is fairly damning. Well, that's... Well, I like whoever wrote that paragraph. That's, yeah, uh, yeah. They've really <laughs> come to a conclusion. <laughs> the, the really interesting thing out of this inquiry... I mean, obviously, we all know the findings are going to be pretty harsh. But yeah. what change is going to come from it? That's what I want to know. Um, yeah, so, and, and I'm sure there's going to be recommendations attached to it. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of scaremongers out there saying, you know, if you change all this, you know, the housing market's going to crash, or this is going to happen, or this is going to happen. And you think, you know, why don't we just wait and see what the recommendations are? And and uh, exactly. I'm sure I'm sure the experts will do an actual analysis on it. And I'm sure that the Royal Commission have done an actual analysis on it, and they wouldn't <laughs> recommend it if if something was going to happen, like. A housing market crash. If anything, I would have thought it should be better for the consumers. Oh, so, um, so investors should have more money. Perhaps less. There should be less fees or more competition, um, or just safer loans given out, which which is in the end better for everyone. Um, yeah, I think definitely. I think even the, this royal commission happening or royal inquiry happening um, has changed the lending practices. So, um, so it's not like it's going to um, further change that. I think all banks are already, already um, tightening up and being more vigilant. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's already had an impact. Things like low doc loans and things like that, they, 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 sh- they shouldn't be, they, they should shouldn't exist. really exist. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're dangerous. Um, for sure, for sure. Anyway, let's, uh, why don't we move into our main topic this week? So, the, the, the main topic is basically a continuation of last week where we spoke about being audited by the ATO. Uh, but this week we decided, well, why don't we actually talk about regular company audits, the ones that aren't directed by the ATO, the ones that may be required of you by ASIC. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's something that not a lot of small businesses... Uh, think about probably that much, but it may be in the back of your mind. If you're growing, you've been in business for a while, and um, you might be wondering, when do I need to be audited? Yeah, um, because it, it does sneak up on you. Like you, you might not realize that you've hit the categories. You've got to be. You've got to be audited. Exactly, and then there's also, I mean, people are in bodies of local organizations or not-for-profit charities. So there's also those considerations too because they, they generally do require some audits of their books um, every yeah, that's certain right. number of years. So um, Yeah, so, so why don't we dive in first by saying you know, who actually needs to be audited. Uh, now, there's a few different categories and there's a few different types of audits, but so the people that actually need to disclose are... Uh, uh, disclosing entities, uh, publicly listed entities, large proprietary entities, uh, some smaller businesses that have been directed to uh, be audited by ASIC or by its shareholders, uh, or um, you know registered organisations or you know organisations limited by guarantee that are not for profit, and there's varying okay. categories within that. Um, so the the one that most of our listeners would be there's probably two that most of our listeners here are going to be concerned with would be when they become a large proprietary company, yep. or or if they own a not for profit. 
Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, so they're, they're, they're the most likely because, you know, if, if you're listening to this podcast, it's unlikely that you've started a publicly listed entity. And if you have, well done. Congratulations. <laughs> and, and if you have, you probably understand that you will need to get an audit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the ASX would have told you that on the first day of, uh, of going through the issue prospectus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, so a, a large, Proprietary companies is it's just a you know proprietary limited company um, that most small businesses are you know that they're a company uh, and it all comes down to three categories. Now, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll bring this up. So, it so really, down. yeah. yeah so this is on, this is for business owners to determine whether or not they are a large um, proprietary limited company because it, it can be hard to know. Um, Correct. You might think you're large, but does that fall into the category that yeah. the regulators are looking at for you to, yeah. to do an audit? And, it, and it's actually smaller than what I thought it was. So okay. a large proprietary company, you need to meet two of the following three categories. The first one uh, is your consolidated revenue for the financial year of the company and all entities it controls, $25 million or more. Which isn't okay. that much, really. Mm, like, if, yeah. if you're, if you're, you know, in a retail business that sells a lot of products, then you could, you could yeah. be reaching that 25 pretty quickly. Sure. Uh, the value of the consolidated gross assets of the company and all the entities it controls, uh, 12.5 million or more. So your assets mm. need to be more than 12 and a half million. Yeah. Or, That's problem to have. yeah, or the company and all of its entities it controls have 50 or more employees. Mm, yeah, so, okay. So, so two of the three, if you have more than $25 million in revenue, if you've got more than $12.5 million in assets, or you've got more than 50 employees, you are considered a large proprietary company, and you need to have your financial statements audited. Wow. Um, is, that, um, is that a standard, uh, is that an accounting standard, or is that an ASIC regulation? Who, who's regulation? Yeah, ASIC okay. Regulation. So the, that's what they're the uh, the entities that ASIC have determined need to be audited. Now the yep. accounting standards apply obviously to the audits that are done, and there are different auditing standards. Or they're, they're the same auditing standards, but there's a few extra ones issued for small businesses, which yeah. Which so it's funny you consider the large company for ASIC, but the accounting yep. standards are probably a small small entities so yeah uh, yeah makes sense there are you've got to follow all the same rules to be audited but uh, but there's a few that you can kind of discard because they might be irrelevant yeah okay cool cool yeah so that's actually quite clear I mean um, there's a there's an actual quantitative there's a a value value that yeah yeah, that that you should keep in mind if your business is growing Um, and uh, well you know what, Dan? I actually think there are some businesses that would be in that realm that do overlook the fact that they would need to get an audit done by oh, an independent they, party be every heaps. year. Yeah, there'd be heaps. There'd be so many businesses that, uh, that, you know, they started off as a small business, but over the years they've grown quickly, especially, as we said, retail businesses. Um, if you own a couple of different shops, you, there's a good chance you could have 50 employees on the books. Yeah. Um, and there's a good chance you could be earning more than $25 million in revenue. You might not be getting $25 million in profit. Um, you might only be getting $50,000 in profit, but it's, yeah. it's the revenue marker and the employee and the assets that... Uh, mm. 
Okay. Now, um, what about not-for-profits? When, when do they yeah. need to start getting well, there's actually There's actually three tiers. Um, and I don't have this in front of me, but I, I'm pretty sure I know it off the top of my head. Uh, yep. So the first tier is if you're under $250,000 in income. Okay. So if, if, if you're under that, uh, you, there is no need to be audited or reviewed. Nothing. Okay. All right. You don't. You don't need to. You, all you need to do is prepare financial statements. Okay. Um, so that's, that's just that's, that's your requirement. Essentially. Yep. Yep. Uh, the next category is between two hundred and fifty thousand, and I think it's a million. Yep. I, I might check this out before the end of the podcast, but yep. it's 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 a million or a couple million. Uh, at that point, you need to either be you can choose to be reviewed or to be audited. Now, there's a difference. So a review is what's called a, a limited assurance uh, audit engagement. So yeah. that means that the auditor is not using as stringent as procedures mm. and techniques as they normally would. Uh, yeah. They're essentially just re- reviewing it, testing your um, – they're looking at your statements, running a few an, a, analytical yeah. reviews of it, you know, yeah. um, checking that if you've got, you know, much higher um, – you know, m- much higher – Inventory, then you know you're suspected to have something. You know, there's there's relationships yeah. between everything on your financial statements. So a limited engagement reviews of those kind of things, and if anything looks like it might not be right, they check into it a bit further. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, that they're, they're stating that in the best of their opinion, um, nothing has come to their attention that something is out of the ordinary. And and yeah. you can have a review done by any CPA. It doesn't need to be a registered auditor. Yeah, so, uh, that's uh, what I was uh, going to say next, actually. So that, yeah. does that have to be a registered auditor or not? No, no, that just has to be a CPA um, or, or a CA, I assume, uh, and it yep. just needs to just needs to contain um, the statement that obviously you know you, you're not a registered auditor, but um, but you're not also giving um, reasonable assurance either. This is limited yeah. assurance; it's a review. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, and then so the next category, which is the top one, once you get above that that top revenue mark, then you need to be audited by a registered company auditor. Mm, okay. And, okay. And that's obviously a lot more stringent and a lot more detailed, and uh, you end up um, with reasonable assurance that the financial statements are not materially misstated by error or fraud. Well, I mean, that's pretty important once you're getting over that um, that $1 million turnover level yeah. for a not-for-profit business. Um, yeah. I mean, if you imagine um, sport, some large sporting organizations, not even large, but medium-sized sporting organizations, um, let's say uh, a leagues club on the Central Coast, <laughs> they probably yeah. reached that $1 million amount, so they'd be needing orders done each year. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. I, I'm just, I'm just looking at right now to see what the level is. Hold on. Yeah, I guess um, I'm trying to think of some local not-for-profits that would fall under the different categories, and uh, just wondering how they fulfil those obligations. A little bit rough that they need to get a registered auditor to uh, look through their books because there's a bit of cost involved with that. <laughs> um, yeah, unless yeah, so unless I, there's an auditor that for some reason plays sport with them or <laughs> is is privy to the charity and wants to help out. So that's pretty cool, I guess. But Yeah, well, I, I was right. It's a million dollars. So 250000 okay. to a million um, is medium and then above that is, is one million. 
So yeah, you, yeah. You need, and but there are lots of company registered company auditors um, in small business around that don't charge. Yeah. They, they wouldn't charge that much. And if and if you are a small, you know, if yes, your turnover is a million dollars, but you know, I, I you're not. Um, you know, you, you're not Qantas. It's not going to cost millions of dollars to get your, your book audited. It's going to cost no. a reasonable amount. So As long as they're nice and tidy and in a good order. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, okay, so I was thinking actually to ask the question, so what are some of the pros and cons of, of going through that audit process? Um, is it something that, like, businesses that, that aren't over the threshold to actually be a, a large proprietary limited company, should perhaps even consider doing. Is there any? Is there anything um, to gain from doing it? Yeah. So it, it depends, and there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why, even though you're not required, that you still might be audited. And th- this comes down to a few things. The audit is to essentially provide information to the the users of financial statements, and I'm talking more here specifically financial statement audits. Uh, yeah. The use of financial statement audits to, to give them some level of reliability on that information that they've been presented with. So if, if you're an entity that has many shareholders uh, yeah. and all these shareholders rely on financial statements that you divvy out at the end of the year to yeah. um, to help them understand what's happening in the business, but, but they might not be actively involved yeah. every single uh Every single day of the business, then yeah, yeah, an audit might be a good idea because it provides reasonable assurance that the financial statements aren't misstated in any material way. Yeah, um, and, and audit- according to accounting standards, and that you can rely on the information when you're making your decisions. Exactly, exactly. So for that purpose, I'd say yeah, it's probably a good idea to get get them audited. Um, I, I know that sometimes if an entity is entering into some unusual debt arrangement or something like that, then a bank might require that their financial statements be audited. Yeah. Uh, That's another reason, regardless of size. Um, That's not going to happen with every loan, but sometimes, you know, you you enter into unusual arrangements where, you know, if you pass some certain debt covenant, then suddenly you've got to pay a lot back. Um, Definitely. Definitely. And yeah, that, that, that can definitely happen. Um, yep. but essentially, you know, a financial statement audit just gives you and the other shareholders of your company um, reliable information. Or it's, yeah. it's not there to guarantee that everything is 100% correct. It's just to say that, you know, based on the procedures, everything seems to be prepared according to the rules. Okay. So for, for businesses, are there any other sort of quirky positives that could come? So I know, for example... You may actually, um, it may be a good uh, safeguard from fraud or theft from the yeah. company. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, you, you, one element of an audit is to determine the risk of fraud. Uh, yeah. And and because, uh, as I've said a few times, you know, they're, they're not just determining the, the uh, uh, that there's no material error, it's there's no material error from fraud as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and, more often than not, an auditor will give you know a, a, an analysis of what your internal controls are like. Yeah, um, that's and, an important that, part. I think that, that, Small that they might make yeah that they might make some some recommendations. Uh, yep. And it could be as simple as you know you, you, you've given everyone in your in your business access at every level to the software that you use to run your business, and and that allows people to change things and and steal things and cover it up or. 
Um, you might have managers that uh, have too much control. You know, they yeah. have the ability to manipulate the figures and hide things or, yeah, misappropriation of assets. You know, they might be transferring yeah. money to a fake, to a fake subcontractor that's actually there. Mm. But no one would ever know. So, yeah, yeah. Definitely, it, it's definitely a, a good review of your internal controls against fraud. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, cool. So, um, what about any cons? Is it just mainly the costs and, and yeah, I suppose it's, the time consumed and going through the process? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's It can be costly. Uh, it takes time. There's going to be someone probing your business <laughs> and <laughs> asking you questions. And, uh, you know, they, they, they might uncover things that you just didn't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you might have thought you prepared something some way and you're happy with it. And the next thing you know that, uh, oh, no, we, we applied that accounting standard incorrectly and, yeah. and our profit is actually um, 100% less. That can be problematic. But at the same time, you'd rather I think, know. I think yeah. you'd rather um, – uh, it is it is an external third party, and they are going to give you independent uh, views and opinions. But you'd rather the person giving you those opinions be hired by you <laughs> than, um, than, than it be an ACO yeah. auditor or an ASIC auditor, so yeah. or, or a liquidator for that matter as well. So, and yeah. you you and I think like that, Tim, um, and <laughs> <laughs> but not everyone does. And yeah. uh, and for those people, then you should get your act straight and uh, <laughs> get your act together. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, no it takes all it takes all kinds, and I guess we're more conservative in nature, which is why we're accountants. But uh, yeah, so yeah. The, the, the other thing I, I was going to mention as well is that there are other types of audits. So yeah. we, we've already mentioned two. We've got you know your, your limited assurance and your reasonable assurance. You know, a, a review versus an audit, essentially. Uh, but people can audit things other than your financial statements, and there's a lot of there's a lot of this happening these days. Uh, the first one off the top of my head is that usually with financial statements, particularly of much larger entities, uh, they're releasing other information such as sustainability reports, mm. uh, environmental cool. reports, cool. Uh, all, all sorts of things like that. Um, the social impact. Uh, yeah. and, and these information, this information can also be audited, um, yeah. usually by the entity that is auditing the entire financial statements. Yeah. Uh, but they have to bring in experts. You know, you're going to bring in yeah. environmental consultant, or you're going to bring yeah. in other people to verify that the information contained is done to best practice. Yeah. But then the actual figures are audited by the auditor. Yeah. Cool. It's cool yeah. that they're progressing in that way because I think that's a yeah. more important. That's yeah. a really important thing um, in this day and age. Yeah, and there's, there's global uh, global and Australian standards set out on how to actually audit people's information in regards to, yeah, exactly what I said, sustainability, the environment, your social impact, all, all that kind of thing. That's cool. That's really so cool. So the, the other main area of audit, and this will be the last one we'll probably discuss, is performance audit. Yeah, okay. And and this is this is where you know you and this is most common in the government sector. So the yeah. auditor general uh is somebody that audits the performance of government agencies, right? Yep. But the same principles can be applied in in business as well. And essentially they're not reviewing the financial statements and whether or not they've been prepared in accordance with something. They're reviewing 
systems, um, internal controls, or, or they're reviewing mm-hmm. outcomes from performance, um, yeah. you know, efficiency, economy, all, all these things they're measuring and then making recommendations on how to improve those things. So yeah. an example might be that you've set up a new product that you want to sell and you've set up this marketing campaign and someone comes in and does a performance review mm-hmm. on how well that marketing strategy is actually leading to in- increased sales, you know, yeah. um, which, 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 which cool. can be difficult to, to determine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, or it might be that uh, you've set up a new quality control system for manufacturing your product and it's yeah. reviewed to see whether or not this is actually making a difference. Well, that's interesting because that doesn't really need to be carried out by a registered auditor because there's no um, reporting requirements unless it is part of the financial report, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but could could that not just be carried out by a specialist in, in any of those fields or, um, yeah, or someone yeah. who has an expertise it's, in that area? Uh, I, on the smaller... On the smaller instances, 100%, definitely. Um, yeah. Obviously, in the public sector, there are very stringent uh, accounting standards in regards yeah. to the, the performance auditing of government agencies and things. Uh, yes. So that, that yes, needs to be done course. by a registered auditor. But yeah, out in the in the private sector, um, yeah, I, I couldn't see why not. You know, you, you're not reporting. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's more just, yeah, exactly, consultative. You, you're making conclusions based on some evidence um, that you're gathering. Um, that really, you might, um, strategic yeah. auditing. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That's exactly right. So, yeah, so there's lots of things. Um, we, we won't go into the actual processes of auditing, what happens no, in an audit. Quite as exciting. No, but, uh, but I think we've given a pretty good overview of, of when you need to be audited and the types of audits that are out there. Because I think audits to a small business person sounds like a really daunting, stressful thing. Um, but there is a, a positive aspect to it and positive results mainly that you can get from it. I mean, obviously, there's a cost in doing it, but yeah. the business is at a size at which you will get benefits from going through that process. So, um, yeah, so I think uh, um, that's a really good summary for small business people to understand for when their business is hopefully grow to that um, large proprietary limited um, company and they're going to be needed to do some audits for ASIC. Yeah, I think so. All right. I think we've covered that. Let's move on to our other things, Tim. What's your other thing? Other, you other thing. thing? I do. I've got a couple of other things. Uh, mm-hmm. First one is the AFL Grand Final. Oh, what a doozy, wasn't it? Oh, it was an epic, epic oh. game. It was, it was fantastic. I, I, you know me, Tim, I love sport, and, and I sat down, <laughs> and I, I watched it um, from the second quarter onwards, and uh, it was, uh, it, by the end, I was on the edge of my seat. Oh, it was amazing. And how about the um, goal to win the game? Oh, what, oh. A, um, what a clinch, like, moment. And well, he just I, kicked I, a dead barrel straight on a tight angle. Um, West, West Coast kicked about 1,000 behinds. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, like they, they were so close. They were just so yeah. close. A, any one of those would have won the game, but they just get behind, 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 and then it looked like Collingwood was about to score again, another yeah. goal, because um, it flew down their end. But then suddenly, um, yeah, they kicked that final goal, and the fate yeah. was sealed. It's so interesting because I often see teams in AFL that don't use, don't make the most of their opportunities. They're dominating a quarter. They've missed yeah. all these shots, and then all it takes is the other team, say Collingwood to kick one goal and that's it. Like that's they've it. just broken yeah. their spirit. 
Collingwood almost did that. They were so close. I think they missed so a shot, or they, they had a couple of very close chances. But yeah. uh, West Coast eventually got that goal and uh, just held on. So, yeah. yeah good it, was, it was a gripping final. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was a good one. I really enjoyed that. Um, and, yeah, I guess uh, the other, my other other thing is, um, is on the beer sponsor topic then. Oh, wow. Really? Big announcement. Do we I actually found have another? Po- no, I found another oh. potential sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> Is it a Tasmanian beer? It's Cascade. Oh, <laughs> Cascade. <laughs> yeah, you're probably thinking, Tim, that's stupid. That all they do is light beer. Well, no, Dan. Turns out they have a raft of other beers as well, which are mainly only sold in Tasmania. <laughs> I-, I was going to say, Tim, that's stupid. They're a national brand. Why would they sponsor our podcast? <laughs> but yeah, sure. They only sell light beer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dan, you're getting away from the main point here, all right? The, the Cascade beers beer, yeah. are delicious. And so I've been enjoying a number of their fine ales down here. Did you know that was one of the first breweries in the country? Really? Cascade? Yeah. Yeah. Who's it, who's uh, it owned by now? Chewies or... I don't know, we should find that out and send them a message, see if they want to sponsor the show after this great, uh, great promotion we've been doing for them. But anyway. We'll tag them in the, in the Twitter post. <laughs> yeah, I've been enjoying the, uh, the lager. They've got a nice draft beer. They've got a pale ale then. A nice modern pale beer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Cascade pale ale. Who would have thought? They add more hops to it. Uh, yeah, I get, uh, pale ale is generally like more fruity. So yeah, I think the, the hops are an important part of the process. Um, a bit of more of a mouthful, so yeah. Good. Uh, <laughs> well, is that is that all your other things this week? That's all I got, Dan. What about you? Nice. Uh, I got a couple of other things. Uh, the first one is just mentioning again my relay for life that's happening in a week and a half. Yeah. Uh, How you going on the sponsorship front? Yeah, great. I've had I've had a couple of sponsors come through. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, my first one, my, my cousin Lauren donated, so thanks very oh, much for that, Buzz. Uh, uh, I had uh, Warren Garth and Cat's Accountants. Uh, they donated a, a nice amount. Now, oh. what, what I was going to say, Tim, is that you know the, the money that, that your dad has donated to, to this is going to raise some essential funds for research. Uh, apparently, it could take... You know, um, a bunch of kids to and from the hospital. The amount that he donated uh, for, for a few times and 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 really helped them. Oh uh, wow! The, the amount that you've donated will go to zero research and to zero uh, transporting kids to and from the hospital who no, need treatment. So I stand by my comment, Dan. But I'm going to sponsor you once you complete the marathon. I want yeah, to see I, the deed done first. I just wanted to make a comparison and to show how far the apple has fallen from the tree. <laughs> well, I'm glad you raised that to my attention that um, Dad and Cat sponsored you um, yeah. because I'm a bit disappointed he didn't run that past me first, uh, just to be honest there. <laughs> I did not okay that decision. <laughs> well, I, I did, Tim, so don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to give... Uh, Props to Warren and and cats and props to to my cousin Lauren for for donating and um, anyone because, else that's got spare change please please you know five dollars would go a long way so it's, yeah uh, you're right uh, I will I will jump on 
just uh, can you donate after? Is the the donation thing? Yeah, after? I think That's you can donate point. after. Yeah. Right. I know you. I know you're just waiting to see if I do all the laps, but uh, oh no! Okay, here you go. I'll I'll donate forty two dollars. Oh, how many laps is it? One hundred and five laps. Yeah, one hundred five. Yep. I'll donate fifty cents per lap. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll okay. donate that in advance. In yeah. advance of the uh, of the marathon. Yeah. And. For whatever laps you don't do, I demand a refund. Okay, that's, yeah, right. you need to be held accountable. So. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair enough. Uh, so yeah, so do that, and everyone else do that as well. My other other <laughs> thing this week is uh, that I, I've had a suggestion for a new segment on the podcast, Tim. Oh, yeah. So w- w- one of our one of our listeners and, and fans, uh, Bill Thu, uh William, got in touch. And he, he suggested uh, we do a topic, which he said he stole from Reddit. Um, nice. that, uh, on Reddit, it's called We, we Ran the Numbers. Um, okay. and, and what they do on there is people ask dumb things and they work out, you know, like a question would be, you know, how, how many people would I need to kill to make a sword <laughs> from the blood of my, my enemies? Oh and, 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 and they work out, you know, how much iron is in the blood and how much blood is in normal people and work out how, how, wow. how many people need. Anyway, what I said is, I said, great idea, Bill, but why don't we change it to be we ran the numbers and people send in their crazy business ideas and we yeah. tell them roughly how much they'd need to sell their product for and the costs and the I general like setup it. fee. I like um, it. So he, he said that's a good idea and he, he gave me the first one, which is an emu farm. Okay. Uh, so uh, I actually ran the numbers, and uh, I think maybe <laughs> next week we should get into it. Let's get it. I'm so keen to get into that. That sounds awesome. That's, let's, yeah. that's a great new topic. Thank you, William. So, it, like. so if, if anyone's got any uh, any zany business schemes or, or ideas that they've thought of, uh, it, the, the, the more ridiculous, the better. I mean, if you want to sell pine cones, let us know, and, yeah. and, and we'll try and run the numbers. Uh, we'll run the numbers on that. And there could be, I imagine, if this is a bit of a Shark Tank situation and you come up with the next big thing. That'd be cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, great. That, that probably uh, does us for the week. Yeah, I think so, Dan. Well, thanks for your time. Thanks for the chat. I, I really appreciate you calling me in during your trip, Kim. Um, <laughs> that, was, that, that sounded sarcastic, but it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> That was yeah, why, why does everything you say sound sarcastic towards me? Yeah, thanks for calling in, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> I'm to do it. Well, you had a good idea before. Since we have got the mic quality to a pretty good standard on the road, um, when you're in Japan next year, early next year, we yeah, might do uh, some uh, Japanese business case studies as well. 100%. I think that's a great idea. I think that's a fantastic idea. All right. Well, cool. Thanks, Tim. Enjoy the rest of your trip and uh, catch you later, everybody. <sighs> Brit oh. walks over. He gives her the identical speech. Oh. He chose no one. Oh. The whole show was a waste of time. He got to the end and chose no one. Oh, my God.